Coming to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny. Motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you, the Forge of Freedom. And now, here's your host, Alex Uli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 40 of the Forge of Freedom. Today, I have a special guest, uh, a person that has had significant influence on my way of thinking, uh, Lawrence Reed. Uh, Welcome to the show, Lawrence. Hey, thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And, and, uh, you know, we were talking pre-show here that, you know, there've been a a number of people who have had a great deal of influence on me and people that I follow uh, periodically uh, reading their work. And and you're certainly one of those. So I, I, it's, uh, means a great deal for you to, to take the time to join the show. And I certainly appreciate you being on the show. I think our listeners will, will enjoy hearing what you have to say. Well, I'm Uh, honored and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So for those of uh, our listeners who don't know uh, Lawrence Reed, you go by Larry. Uh, so I'll be referring to you as Larry throughout the show, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Uh, Larry is uh, the Foundation for Economic Education's uh, President Emeritus, uh, after having served as president of FEE uh, from 2008 to 2019. And most of our listeners should know what FEE is. It's the Foundation for Economic Education. I've, I've referenced it and, and work from FEE on quite a few occasions. Uh, Larry has served as the, the chairman of FEE's Board of Trustees. Uh, he did that in the 90s and has been writing and speaking for FEE since the late 1970s. Uh, and prior to becoming FEE's president, uh, Larry served as president of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy in, in Midland, Michigan. And he also taught economics full time from 1977 to 1984 at Northwood University in Michigan and chaired its Department of Economics from 1982 to 1984. A champion for liberty, Reed has uh authored nearly 2,000 newspaper columns and articles and dozens of articles in magazines and journals in the United States and abroad. His writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Christian Science Monitor, USA Today, the Epic Times, the Washington Examiner, and many others. He has also authored or co-authored at least eight books by now, uh, the most recent being, I believe, uh, was Jesus, a Socialist. Larry is also the author of Are We Good Enough for Liberty, the book we'll be discussing today. And there's certainly a great deal more to say about uh, Larry's accomplishments and his efforts toward the advancement of liberty, but I've hit many of the highlights that I gleaned from from Fee's website here. Uh, Larry, is there anything essential that uh, I've missed that you think our listeners should should know about you? Oh, uh, not really, Alex. Uh, you could always have simply introduced me the way Ed McMahon used to introduce Johnny Carson and just say, here's Larry. <laughs> that would be fine, too. <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose I could do both. Here's Larry, right? <laughs> I, I, I practice humility uh, and I preach humility. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're, we are going to be 
talking about that a little bit today. Uh, we'll be talking about character and virtue to some extent, and and I think humility certainly follows falls into that category. Uh, but anyway, I, I appreciate you joining the show. Uh, I reached out to you, of course, by, by email. And I, I don't think I told you this, but I read your recent article called Wanted Moral Courage, which linked to the book, uh, Are We Good Enough for Liberty? I hadn't read the book previously, so well, I, I read the book and, and, and I loved it and, and thought it'd be worth discussing on the show. So uh, thank you. you graciously accepted my invitation and, and here we are. Uh, <clears throat> so I think just to get into the to the to, to the topic, uh, are we good enough for liberty? It it's a I think an interesting question, one that we should contemplate uh, as people who want a free society and who advocate for a free society uh, because it's it's essential to a free society. I think to to be able to grapple with this question and um, sort of self reflect. So I guess to start out, what what motivated you to write this this book? Alex, I think many factors uh, played a role in motivating me. This was many years in the making, even though it's not a very long book. Uh, the thought behind it uh, goes back quite a while. Uh, I've been making the case for liberty in various ways over the years. Sometimes I'll argue that it's the most productive system. You know, if you if you believe that more stuff is important and it is in the sense that uh, you know food and drink and housing and those kinds of material things are critical to our standard of living well then you should be for liberty because uh, you know, people tend to produce more uh, in a system in which they are free and there are other arguments that i made uh, for liberty but i always thought there was something missing that there was an element that uh, our side you might say those of us who believe in liberty were under emphasizing and over the years, that kind of coalesced in my mind around the term character. Um, I think character is often the missing ingredient in uh, our case for liberty. That too, too often we argue from a material standpoint that we should be free because it will produce more stuff. Um, and I think liberty is uh, more lofty even than that that it is the only political, economic, social arrangement uh, which requires that people live to high standards of character. And so in recent years, I've tried uh, through the book and in my public speaking to emphasize this, that uh, a nation that doesn't maintain its character, high standards of character, will not sustain its liberty. And I don't know of any nation in all of history, in fact, that lost its character and kept its liberties. That's how important uh, character is. So the, the point of the book ultimately is to make the connection between liberty and character, because I think that they are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And I, I think you, uh, I don't know what page it's on, but at some point in the book, you mentioned that uh, essentially people have to make a choice, either govern yourself or be governed. Yes. And uh, I think that's exactly the, the point that you're, you're making here. This, this link, this two sides of the same coin. Um, I, I, there are a few examples that you give in the book of people who have displayed character. And I don't want to overlook uh, the, the blinking lights story from Warsaw, Poland. Would you mind to say a little bit about that? 
Uh, yes, I'd be happy to. Poland has always been very special to me uh, since my first visit there in 1986, when it was still run by a communist regime. And I'm um, happy to say uh, here very soon, I'll be going back to Warsaw to uh, receive an award from the government, um, which is the highest honor they bestow upon a foreigner. And it's largely because of the work I did in Poland when it was communist in the 1980s. But uh, in 1986, three years before the big changes that saw the communist regime ended and the fall of the Eastern European Empire of the Soviet Union, uh, Poland was still a, a dark place. Uh, it still had lingering elements of martial law that the government had imposed in 1981. Of course, it still had a, a one-party communist monopoly on political power and a socialized economy. Pretty dreary place. Nobody could have known then that it would be less than three years uh, before Poland would get rid of the communists and all of Eastern Europe would be free. But I spent a couple of weeks there in November of 86, each night uh, staying at a different home of someone who had something to do with the anti-communist underground resistance. And one evening, my escorts told me that there was a very special couple that they wanted me to meet that evening. Uh, we would be going to their apartment. Their names were Zbigniew and Sofia Romashevsky. And I'd never heard of them before, but it turned out they had run underground radio for Solidarity, the organization of Lech Walesa that uh, uh, was banned when martial law was declared. And they went underground when martial law was declared in December of 81 and were broadcasting uh, from an illegal radio transmitter a message of freedom for Poland. And uh, they were uh, found out in the middle of 82, and he was given four years in prison. She was given three. And in November of 86, when I was in their apartment, neither of them had been out of prison for very long. And they were uh, active again in the underground, not with radio, but in other ways. And I asked them many questions that night about what it was like to run an underground illegal radio. Uh, and um, uh, Sophia answered uh, most of those questions. And one of them was, um, how did you know if people were listening? And think about it. It's an illegal radio transmitter. Uh, you can't advertise. <laughs> how do you get, how do you know if people are tuning in? So I asked her that and she said, well, we wondered that too. We had to broadcast only eight or 10 minutes at a time then tear the radio down, take it someplace else and set it back up again and broadcast eight or 10 minutes and then do the same thing over and over, trying to stay a step ahead of the government. And she said one night uh, while we were broadcasting, we asked people if they believed in the message of the radio station, if they believed in freedom for Poland, we asked them, she said, to blink their lights. And then she said, we then went to the window and for hours, all of Warsaw was blinking. And, you know, all these years later, and she's still living, by the way, I still get goosebumps when I tell that story because it's a testimony to the courage of, of that couple. So emblematic of the courage of millions of Poles who uh, prevailed ultimately against uh, the evil empire and threw off the yoke of communism in 1989. It, it, uh, it gives me goosebumps just hearing you tell it uh, and, it, and it gave me goosebumps reading reading the story uh, as I read your your book 
it's a, it's an amazing story, really, because like you say, there was there was no advertising, there were no tracking cookies like there are on uh, the internet today, uh, and, and that's a an amazing story. Just I can't imagine uh, looking out the window and seeing all those blinking lights over a, a city uh, occupied by a communist uh, government. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great postscript to the story, by the way. Uh, he, Zbigniew, ran in those first uh, free elections in June of 89 that saw every seat that the communists allowed to be contested lost by the communists. He won a seat in the lower house, later moved up uh, and was elected to the Senate and passed away only seven or eight years ago. But uh, she is still living and I hope to see her when I uh, next go to Poland. And I should I should say too before I before I forget, uh, congratulations on being selected for the award. What's what's the name of the award? It's called the Grand Cross of the Order of Merit of the Republic of Poland. And okay. uh, I'm proud to say that uh, President Reagan is one of the former recipients. Oh wow, wow, uh, that's amazing! Well, congratulations uh, for you. that. When when do you anticipate receiving the award? Latest word is it should be in late September, but they haven't confirmed a, a firm date yet. Ukraine has actually held it up. Uh, I thought it was going to happen before this, but as you might imagine, Poland has been up to its eyeballs in dealing with the aftermath of the invasion and the ongoing invasion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, I'd like to – you've mentioned a few other uh, stories here in your book too that about – the exemplification of, of character and, and doing the right thing, even when it's difficult. Um, one, one passage you mentioned, we, we tell a story about a Cambodian man who, who delivers the ma- the mail. Yeah. Uh, uh, you mind to actually just tell that story real quickly. Oh, I don't want to drag you through uh, to tell all these stories, but I think this is another great one to tell. Oh, thank you. No, I love to tell this story. This goes back to my visit to Cambodia in uh, August of 1989. And if you or any of your viewers uh, watched the movie, it came out in 1985, I think, called The Killing Fields. Um, the man who played the role of uh, Dith Pran, um, his name was Dr. Hang S. Noor. He won an Academy Award for that. I went back to his native Cambodia with him in 1989. And um, uh, before I went, uh, there was a story in our local newspaper there in Michigan where I was living about the fact that I was going with Hang Noor. I had brought him to our town. He uh, spoken uh, before a public audience in Midland, Michigan. And uh, I got a call from a local lady who said, uh, oh, Mr. Reed, I see you're going to Cambodia and that uh, you're taking some medical supplies uh, with you. Uh, we at our church here in Midland helped three Cambodian refugee families some years ago uh, to get started in the U.S. And they, they now live elsewhere in the country, but we stay in touch. But they have a problem every time they try to communicate with their loved ones back in Cambodia, the letters don't show up. Or if they put money in the envelopes, the money doesn't show up. Uh, They would love uh, for you to take letters, if you be so kind, and try to find their families and deliver them in person with some money in the envelopes. And I said, sure, I'll do my best. And she said, now, don't come back with any of the money in the envelopes. 
if you can't reach a certain family, bring the letter back, but, um, you know, give the money to a needy Cambodian. Of course, there were, they were everywhere. And uh, I realized the day before I was to leave to come home from Cambodia that I wasn't going to make it to that third family. They were some distance from the capital of Phnom Penh, and I, I knew I wasn't going to get there. So I had to think about who am I going to give the $200 to that uh, are in this envelope? And I thought, well, there was a local guy who was giving me a ride every now and then during the week on his uh, rickshaw. And uh, he seemed like a nice fellow. He had uh, he smiled easily. I uh, just sensed that he was a good soul, spoke uh, uh, some English. So I gave him the $200 and I said to him, uh, if you can deliver this along with the letter, I didn't uh, want to bring the letter back. I said, take the letter and the $200. And if you can get it to this family, you can keep $50 of the 200 Well, then I left for home. And, you know, like most people, I didn't expect ever to hear anything further about it. But about six months later, the woman who had first called me uh, and asked me to deliver those letters was all excited on the phone. And she said, Larry, I have a, a copy in front of me of a letter that came uh, to one of our refugee families that we helped uh, from their loved ones back in Cambodia. And I have to read this paragraph to you. And that was the part that read, um, thank you for sending the $200. Now, what that said was that this man who had so little, uh, probably didn't have $5 in life savings, he not only delivered that letter to those people, he didn't even keep the $50 I told him he could keep. And that said something to me that that was that man was a man of solid character. And if there were ever an occasion when my life depended upon him in some way, he just appeared somewhere and all of a sudden I was that dependent upon him, I would trust him completely. Because in a moment when he didn't have to, when nobody was looking and no one would have known or hardly anybody would have known otherwise, uh, he did the right thing. And uh, he went over and above doing just the right thing. And I'll, I just wish I had knew how to contact him today uh, to thank him if, he, if he's still around. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's an amazing story because there was nothing for him to be gained uh, yeah. from that. I mean, he could have kept the $50 and that would have been completely... Uh, a virtuous act as well, not quite as virtuous as having passed along the entirety of the $200. Uh, but well, but even if there wasn't much to be gained, there was certainly something really big to have lost. And that is your conscience. Yes. And uh, he had enough of a conscience. He knew he didn't want to lose. it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think those are, are wonderful stories. And I think uh, motivate people that you, you tell these stories at the beginning of your book. And I, I think a, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think partly as a way to motivate people to, to keep going in your book about why yeah. character matters and, and to figure yeah. out where it comes from. You I'm, mind a big believer. I'm a big believer in storytelling. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, you can make a point in straight lecture with just facts and figures, perhaps a sterile presentation, but if you wrap it around a true story, I think it, it sticks with people much more so. Mm -hmm. And I think you uh, close out the the port the portion of your book here nicely with uh, uh, the words of Apostle Paul uh, while he was in prison, 
you say shortly before he was martyred, it is recorded in in Second Timothy uh, chapter four verse seven. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Yes, and um, you know that that sort of uh, demonstrates uh, or sort of captures the idea of these stories to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I think so, and I often refer to that passage uh, in public speaking because. I want people to know that the one thing over which they have the greatest control is their personal character. And it's probably the one thing in which they could not possibly invest too much. Uh, I tell audiences of young people that investing in your character from the moment you realize how important it is, is something that you will never regret. And yet we see every day uh, people who pass on from this earth without uh, uh, much of anything of value left behind uh, in terms of uh, an example. And I, mm -hmm. I always find that to be so sad. I, I would hate to get to the point in life where I look back on my life and honestly say, gee, I didn't make much of a difference. And when I did, it was it was often as not for the for the bad, not for the good. I, I wasn't a good example. Uh, the world's not better because I was in it for a time. I'd hate to have to say all that. I'd mm -hmm. love to be able to say, though not perfect, I tried my best to do what I thought was right whenever I had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And that's a question of conscience and character, and you cannot invest in either one too much. And that's certainly uh, a wonderful way to be remembered. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's ultimately yeah. what people will remember you for if they do at all. More yeah. than uh, the wealth that you had or the, you know, I mean, they remember you for the kind of person you were uh, more mm -hmm. than anything else. And that's how you make a difference yeah. uh, with other people to try to be the best example you can be as a parent, as a friend, as a fellow citizen. And they don't have to be through these extravagant acts of, you know, uh, motivating people to, to blink their lights in, in Warsaw, Poland or yeah. delivering. Uh, the entirety of a $200 when you're poor and destitute uh, yeah. and character is found in, in the small things, right? You yeah. mind to say, you mind to say, well, actually, before we get into that, I'd like to mention too, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Blinking Lights Project. Do you mind to say a little bit about the Blinking Lights Project? Yes, that is something that we inaugurated at the Foundation for Economic Education some nine or 10 years ago, I think. And of course, I retired four years ago. And with a new president, it may have a little different emphasis uh, than it did under me, but because it was so personal to, to me and my uh, first visit to Poland. But the Blinking Lights Project was a way of not only um, memorializing that great moment in 1986 when Sofia Romashevsky uh, shared that story uh, with me, but also uh, a way to spotlight other people who are themselves blinking lights. So as part of a project, we created a Blinking Lights Award, and we gave it uh, over the years to people who exemplify strong character in difficult circumstances. One is a man still living, still teaching in Caracas, Venezuela, Daniel LaHood. Uh, we gave it to him because in such a difficult place like socialist Venezuela, he is teaching his uh, students um, as best he can uh, the elements of a free market, free enterprise system, and at some risk to himself. Uh, another man we gave it to has since passed on, Toshio Morata. 
He um, was the, one of the best uh, economists from Japan that that country produced in the last century. He translated a great work of the economist Ludwig von Mises, a book called Human Action, into Japanese. He was a great lover of liberty, and uh, all the way well into his 90s, he never gave in. He, he used every opportunity he could to educate for uh, ideas of liberty. And a few other people over the years, uh, just to recognize people who are blinking the light of liberty, uh, even though they may not be getting public uh, awards and commendations. They, they do it because it's the right thing to do, and they love doing it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wonderful uh, visual just to, you know, imagine the blinking lights in Warsaw and then also the the people who are living a life uh, and try, striving to live with, with good character and to, yeah. to live a virtuous life and a good life and be an example to others, a light to others, not only for liberty, but for living a, a, a virtuous life. Yes. Uh, so, so I love that, uh, that visual. Um, with that said, I'd, I'd like to get into the next section of your book about where does character come from? Uh, we talked about a couple of these these stories, and uh, you mentioned we mentioned that you know character doesn't always mean engaging in these uh, extravagant acts of demonstrations of character, but sometimes it's the small things. A lot of times, it's it's the small things. Do you mind to talk a little bit about about that and and where character comes from? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, I I like to tell people there are two sources ultimately of character. They're not incompatible with each other. Which one is the more uh, important to you may depend upon your faith or or lack thereof. In my case, uh, I'm a Christian, so I very strongly believe that uh, the primary source of the elements of strong character uh, are God-given, God-mandated, uh, in fact. Uh, they are such traits as honesty, that is a commitment to the truth, uh, speaking truth to power, uh, not engaging in prevarication and deceit and deception and lies. Um, now, I, I can cite scripture, uh, of course, that, that indicates uh, that God wants you to be faithful to the truth. But I could also say that the other source of character is perfectly in accord with the two, and that is uh, our nature. I don't think humans can survive in an environment where nobody believes in the truth. Everybody practices lies. I mean, how could you make uh, a contract? How could you make an agreement with anybody if nobody felt uh, any commitment uh, to sticking with it, uh, if they broke it at the drop of a hat for personal advantage? So honesty, I think uh, you can you can look uh, to God's word as, a, as the uh, ultimate source of that as a character trait, or you can argue that uh, our very nature requires it, uh, lest we uh, suffer dire consequences. Another character trait is humility. Uh, certainly the Bible, in many occasions, uh, many places, talks about the importance of humility, which does not mean running yourself down. Some people think humility means, you know, running around saying, oh, I'm worthless, I'm no good. <laughs> That's not what it means at all. Uh, in fact, we think of it uh, I think of it more in an intellectual sense, intellectual humility, which is the recognition that as much as you might know, there's still a universe of knowledge out there that you don't know. And that's the way God created the universe. But I think if you didn't think of God at all, you'd have to be led to the same conclusion. As much as 
any of us knows, as much as all of us together know, um, that's still nothing compared to the knowledge out there that we don't know. The more humble a person is, the more uh, he tends to focus on self-improvement, the less likely he or she is to want to lord it over others. Um, I mean, it's it's a full-time job just keeping your own character uh, straight and honest and, and living your own life well, uh, let alone trying to, you know, uh, force everybody else into your plan. Mm -hmm. So intellectual humility is an important trait. Uh, responsibility, stepping up to the plate, not blaming others for your uh, mistakes or your poor judgments. Courage uh, is another element here in, in character. I don't think a timid people will be a free people because the world is full of people who would be happy to take your liberties from you if they thought they had the chance. Um, so, uh, so I think character comes both from the way we were uh, made as God intended but even if you didn't um, bring God into the equation, I think you'd be led to the same conclusion. If you look at just the nature of humans, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I, I think I tend to agree with that. That I think whether or not you believe in in God, uh, I think there is this natural order to the world, and yeah. there are, are many folks who believe that that God created that natural order, and some yeah. who think it just developed organically. But either way, it's uh, I think it requires uh, this character because I, I like this example you give. Uh, I don't remember what page it's on, but that intelligence plus energy without character is basically destructive. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, be, because and character is that key to component. Uh, and you mentioned that the character is essential basically for our humanity uh, because otherwise we we may. Uh, self-destruct. <laughs> the... Yeah, I, as I recall, I think I brought that up in connection with uh, hiring mm -hmm. over the years as an employer. Uh, I've been confronted with many occasions when I had, uh, on the one hand, maybe got down to a person who was of solid character, but didn't really know the subject matter real well, uh, versus another person who knew the subject uh, backwards and forwards, had multiple degrees in it, but then had questionable character. And I think I pointed out in the book that if I had to make a choice between the two, I wouldn't hesitate to pick the one who had character first, because I know that person is teachable. That person is going to be honest enough to admit they've got a ways to go and will work out it, work at it and be, and be good to work with. But you find somebody who may know everything about the subject, but is of lousy character, uh, you hire that person, they can do you immense harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I think the world would certainly be a better place if there were more people like the the poor Cambodian man, not necessarily the, the poor part, but people who had his character. Yeah. And, and even though he may not be educated uh, in the least, I mean, at least he had the character, as yeah. you say, to, to sort of mold uh, and to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd hire him for anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you, you also mentioned another passage uh, from the Bible here, Luke 16, 10. I always, this is one of my favorites. Uh, Unless you are faithful in small matters, you will not be faithful in large ones. Yeah. And I, I, I think that the Cambodian man is a perfect example of that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I think uh, so many people cut corners because they think, uh, oh, it's such a small thing. Who will care? It's no big deal. But that's uh, the beginning of the so-called slippery slope. 
and a person who cuts the corners on the small things will in time, I think, be more than willing to cut corners on the big things. And uh, I want to be able to say, and I think most people would too, when you look back in your life that uh, even in the small things, you try to do what you knew to be right and mm -hmm. uh, weren't the kind of person who prevaricated and cut corners just to for short-term advantage. Yeah. And as you say, too, uh, after this passage, even those of no faith should see the wisdom of it. And I, I think that's yeah. that's true. Yeah. 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 I, one of the things I like to tell audiences is uh, consider how we were made, whether you think we're an accident or whether we're the result of intelligent design, a, a God, a creator. Well, we're not carbon copies of each other, are we? I mean, you take all 8 billion people alive today and all the who knows how many billions that have been alive on this earth, no two of them have ever been, as far as we can tell, exactly alike. The same person has never lived twice. And that that speaks volumes about the importance of liberty, of freedom. I mean, if we were all just robots, uh, no different one to another, that would make a case, I guess, for th there simply to be some wise planner out there who can program us all. But that's not the way we were made. Uh, we are unique, each and every one of us. And that that tells me that to be who you were intended to be, who you are, you have to be given substantial freedom. If somebody else is telling you at every turn what to do, you're not living your life. He's living his life through you. Uh, and you can you can come to that conclusion whether you believe we're, we were created or whether we're just some cosmic accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the and that's generally the problem with most government action is it it takes a one size fits all approach yeah. to humanity and we're all unique as you say and uh i think prosper and uh achieve our humanity through through freedom and, and acting out you know uh our our um our life in the way that that uh we we find to be most fulfilling that's uh, right yeah uh that i, I like to use the concept uh, from the ancient Greeks of eudaimonia, you know, achieving this sort of more fulfilling happiness, not not the pleasure that we so often seek in, in modern society, but yeah. a, a higher degree of of happiness. And yeah. I think that's consistent with with what you've written here as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I, that reminds me of how, you know, so many people like to dismiss uh, people in the business world, entrepreneurs. They say, oh, well, they're just after wealth. They, they just like to sit around and play with their gold coins. But most of the entrepreneurs I know get far more fulfillment out of uh, the sense of accomplishment, of pleasing customers, of solving problems, creating something. They get more satisfaction out of that than they do, you know, personal wealth that, that flows from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like uh, this point, too. You, you've made this. Uh, through our conversation here uh, in different ways, but you say people who lack humility become arrogant, condescending, know-it-all central planner types. And I think that's exactly the type of person that uh, typically occupies positions in, in, in government, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But but it sort of goes along with this notion of the, the fatal conceit, right? The, this yeah. thought that we know better than most and we can manage micromanage other people's lives and that's yeah. exactly the opposite of of the position that that you're advocating and that we're advocating on this show would, would you mind to say just a, a little bit more about that yeah um 
Leonard Reed, no relation, uh, but he was the founder of the Foundation for Economic Education. He used to say that uh, every human being is uh, starts out like an egg and we hatch and then we grow and we all grow in our own direction, influenced by endless factors. But the bottom line is that, you know, what we ultimately as adults decide to do and how we govern our lives personally will tell the tale more than anything else. Um, uh, he pointed out that uh, at some point, every human uh, as an adult, if not as a child, should recognize that uh, there's so much knowledge they don't know. We should look at creation around us in awe uh, that as, you know, as much as we've learned about it in the last 50, 100 years with so much advance in science and technology, there's still as much to, to learn as ever. And that'll be true, just as true on the day we depart this earth as it was the day we entered it. Uh, and if we understand that, then the last thing we should want to do is to act toward others as if we know all there is to know to run their lives. We don't even know enough to run our own lives uh, fully and uh, predictably from day to day, let alone the lives of others. And yet there's so many people who uh, set themselves up with political power thinking that uh, I know what's best for other people. And so I'm going to regulate, I'm going to tell them what to do, I'm going to you know, just run their lives for them. And um, there's just no instance in history where that on a grand scale has proven anything other than disastrous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the next thing I'd like to get to here, uh, you, you emphasize gratitude yes. quite a bit. Uh, would you mind to say, why do you emphasize gratitude so much in the book? I think gratitude is one of those, uh, uh, top five or six personal character traits that uh, define you and determine how f successful you'll be in life, how much influence you'll have over others, having a grateful spirit. Uh, there was a team of bioethicists led by a man named Emmons some years ago who wrote a book. Uh, I don't recall the title, but the author is Mr. Emmons or Dr. Emmons. I have it here in front of me. Uh, thanks. How practicing gratitude can make you happier. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah kind of a long yeah. title. That's why I forgot yeah. it, I guess. Right. But he points out in there that as a result of their uh, research, they believe that um, having a grateful spirit can add as much as seven or eight years to your life, to your physical life. When you think about it, uh, gratitude is really the recognition that not all the good things that have happened to you have been of your own doing. I mean, who in their right mind, if you really think about it, uh, could claim that, oh, everything, every good thing that's ever happened to me, I've been at the source of it. Not really. Uh, from your parents through your life, a lot of good will come your way uh, and it won't be of your doing. It may not even be because you earned it. It may simply be because of the goodwill of someone else. It may be an invention that someone else invented. Uh, the food that you eat that somebody else grew. Uh, endless examples of it, but having a grateful spirit means that you recognize that and that you acknowledge it. That when you come across a person who did something for you that maybe they didn't have to, but they did, and it was a good thing, uh, well, thank them for it. Uh, and I don't know a person who doesn't feel better when they bring themselves to express thanks 
for a, a good deed. And I don't know of a person who has done a, a good deed who doesn't feel a little bit better when they're thanked. So if you want more good deeds to happen to you and to others, recognize them, thank those who do them, and then don't be surprised that you'll see more of them. I I uh, I, I love this this portion of your book. Uh, I think that gratitude is is often an overlooked component of of a uh, an enriching life uh, yes. or a, a fulfilling life. And as you were talking, you mentioned Leonard Reed earlier. Um, I, I think sometimes it, it helps to uh, sort of think about our place in the world. And, and of course, Leonard Reed wrote the, the book, I, I Pencil, and so, which sort of demonstrates the complexity of the simple things in life yeah. and sort of the power of voluntary exchange and, and free markets and, and the things that exist because of that voluntary cooperation. And, and I think if you take the time to reflect on those sorts of things, it makes you appreciate the things that we do have that yeah. we often take for granted. Uh, I mean, you and I are, are speaking over the internet right now, and I often take the, the internet for granted, but we wouldn't be having this conversation uh, if not for the, the internet, which is far more complex than, than a pencil. That's right. uh, so I, I think that, that gratitude is highly overlooked, and, and I, I'm glad that you uh, emphasize it so much in the book. And on top of that, as you say, it, it uh, may, in, in fact, increase your lifespan. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And if you have children, I think uh, saying thank you to a child and teaching them uh, when the proper occasions are to thank others is one of the most instructive and valuable things as a parent you can do. Uh, it's still that grateful spirit uh, into young people at an early age. And uh, I think you'll see the magic that comes from it. Mm -hmm. uh, how many I, times do we run into angry people all the time who can't bring themselves to say thank you? Do you think uh, Karl Marx ever went into a hardware store and said to the owner, hey, thank you for taking the risk and creating this enterprise and making sure everything I need <laughs> is right here whenever I want it? Yeah, you can't right. imagine an angry, nasty communist like Karl Marx ever smiling and saying thank you uh, to anybody. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, yeah. Did, the more likely question was, did you make any profit from that? And if so, where is my portion? That's uh, right. Yeah. You must have taken yeah. it from me. <laughs> you go through life in, in, with such an angry, ungrateful spirit. Right, right. I, I don't re recall, uh, it just came to mind, I, I heard recently about uh, this effect. It's called the Pygmalion effect. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a, it, it basically is a fancy name for a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh -huh. And I, I think that that's true to some degree with a, a, a gracious uh, spirit that, you know, if you're thankful for things, good things will come uh, to yeah. some degree. Yeah. Of course, that's not always true, but uh, that's, that's been my experience. And, and I think it's something that you have to intentionally focus on is, is being yeah. gracious because it's easy to let negativity uh, seep into your, to your life. It's easy to take so much for granted, uh, especially mm. here in America where we have such abundance of so many things. Um, but all you have to do is think about all the many people in the world and in history who haven't had anything like what's been available to us. And you have to, uh, you have to recognize that and be grateful for the fact that we've been so blessed. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. So what, um, one thing you mentioned, obviously, I think 
if it's not apparent, uh, I think most people are, are probably following us in, in uh, the assertion that character is, is necessary for, for liberty. Uh, but it seems like more and more that character is lacking in yeah. society. Uh, how can we change that? How can we change the tide uh, to a more virtuous uh, society with more character? Boy, that's the paramount question of our day, isn't it? Uh, yeah. uh, I think it's so important that if we don't fix the character problem, uh, not much of whatever we might do on anything else is going to make much difference. Uh, as I said earlier, I don't know of any society that lost its character and kept its liberties or kept its prosperity. Uh, well, I think this is a, uh, a matter for every individual uh, to and they you you can't impart what you don't possess so if you understand the importance of character then the first thing you got to ask yourself is am i a good example of it uh, because i'm not going to be a very good exponent of it or proponent of it if i'm not seen by others i hope to influence as a practitioner of it uh, nobody likes a hypocrite nobody likes to run into someone who practices one thing and preaches another. Um, so you have to ask yourself, what can I do to improve my own character? Uh, not only as I see it, but as others perhaps are perceiving, you know, how are my children perceiving my behavior? Um, am I the best possible example for them? Uh, and if you work on it, and there are things you can read, uh, of course, that will make you more knowledgeable and appreciative of the elements of character. But most people, when they think much about it, can come up with them on their, them, on their own. You know, honesty, humility, responsibility, courage, res, uh, gratitude, and so forth. Um, so make sure you practice it uh, first and foremost. And then support others who do, especially if they're running for public office. The um, reason I brought politics into it is that it's a source of constant dismay to me to see so many people in public office who have proven themselves to be of lousy character, but who get elected and reelected and reelected. It's as if to the people, it doesn't matter that they're crooks as long as they bring home the bacon. Um, that's a sign, not a, not just of a corrupt politician, but of a corrupt people. Well, well you, and I'm sorry to interrupt here, but you tell a story about a, an ethanol subsidy uh, in, in the book. Do you mind to just, Say something about that oh, real quickly. Oh yeah, uh, are you thinking about the uh, the soybean farmer? Is that the yes? Exactly? Okay, yes. yeah, he he was a very good friend. I always thought highly of him. He's since passed on, but very good uh, friend and a soybean farmer. And when I was running the Mackinac Center, he was one of our staunchest supporters. But he told me one day, he said, "Larry, I'm for freedom and free markets in everything but soybeans." And he <laughs> he actually meant it, and. I thought, well, you know, nobody's perfect, but my goal in life was to try to get him to realize that even subsidies for his important work were not uh, morally defensible. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the problem, right? Is that there, yeah. almost everybody has their equivalent of a soybean subsidy, a, a an interest that they want a politician to provide to them uh, yeah. at the expense of someone else. That's right. And it gets to the uh, factor I, I just mentioned about being a good example. How could such a person make a case to anyone against government subsidies and in favor of personal reliance and free markets if everybody knows he's on the take himself? Mm -hmm. 
it just undermines uh, uh, your persuasiveness to, to, to be a bit of a hypocrite on that, even though you mean well. <laughs> I know he did, but still, uh, I, I think there's a special place on this earth or, and in the hereafter for those who live up to their principles, even when it may not be to their short-term economic advantage to, uh, to do so, but because it's morally right. Um, but, you know, today, um, so many people cut corners all the time. They make exceptions for what they know to be true and right um, all the time. And I don't know of any society that did that on a wide scale that didn't end up in the dumpster. And that's just usually where it happens. It happens small, compromise here, cut corners there, you know, uh, uh, advocate for what you know to be wrong, but uh, just in this special case. And then before long, other people say, well, why shouldn't I do that for my special case? And then everybody's mm -hmm. doing it. And then we go bankrupt. I mean, right. yeah. I wish I could go back to ancient Rome and just have one hour with ancient Romans. And I would say, hey, let me just tell you, because I come from the future. I know where this is headed. You've voted for the welfare state. You're starting down that path. You all feel pretty good that you're getting something for nothing. But let me tell you from the future that I know where it's headed. You're going to bankrupt yourselves, lose your freedom and lose your country. Now, do you still want to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder how many would have the moral courage to say, hey, he's right. No, let's not do that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, I think the emphasis on making a change to yourself first, focusing on yourself, being an influence and, a, and a, in, encouraging others to to live a life of character goes a lot further than than people realize. Yeah, uh, I, I think so often people and I'd like to know your thoughts about this. So often people want to when you say, how do we change uh, the direction of our country or, or of the world? Uh, they expect some extravagant answer, some big uh, action that we can take. But I think the the most effective one is is to focus on yourself and and to change your own character or or to uh, enrich your own character and and to work on your own character uh, and and hopefully have an exponential effect on on those around you. Uh, is is that yeah. essentially the the message? Yeah, there there is no magic button that you can press and make the world a better place. It, it all that all starts uh, through a moral renovation, one person at a time, and you're in charge of that uh, as regards yourself. And you'll discover that if you do that yourself and try to be the very best person uh, that you can humanly be, you'll be amazed at the doors that it will open, the opportunities to influence that will occur. Uh, the mm -hmm. lives that you can change because you set the example. Yeah. Uh, and it, you'll be amazed at how you can look back on your life someday and feel pretty darn good about it, that um, uh, you you left the world a better place and you found it. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yep. That's the goal. So uh, you also mentioned not only uh, this link between character and liberty, but also, and this is related to our current discussion, the, the link between character and leadership that those two are in, in, inextricably linked. Uh, do you mind to, to say a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, leadership is not, or at least true leadership, that really uh, is uh, inspirational, that sticks, uh, that is there for the ages, uh, is not uh, barking orders. You might say, well, Adolf Hitler was a leader. Um, well, yeah, in a sense, but uh, in a fleeting 
uh, a negative way. A true leader, the one that people admire, the, the, the one that people want to follow, not because they have to follow him, but because they want to, is the kind of leader who leads by example, that you look up to and say, wow, um, I can take that person's word to the bank. Uh, that person has uh, made himself an expert on the subject of leading others into battle or whatever the, the venture may be. Uh, they've, they've made themselves the best uh, at, at what they're doing uh, in the business. That's what inspires other people in a very positive way to want to follow. Uh, and then such a leader doesn't have to bark orders. Uh, usually, um, they, you know, I used to like the uh, Andy Griffith show. Remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. It's one of the only shows I walk, watch on a regular basis. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> in hindsight, I look back on that and I, it, it dawned on me one day that I think I learned an important element of leadership from those episodes because if you think about it, Andy usually had uh, had it in mind where he wanted to go on something, and he didn't get everybody on the same page by yelling at them or by barking orders at them. He kind of, unbeknownst to them in some ways, sort of led them in the right direction. And in the end, they came around and they were more solidly for it than if he had ordered them to be of that view right from the start. Yeah. And I think that's the essence of leadership. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it flows from being a good example being having uh, emotional intelligence, being respectful of other people, ultimately all that is a reflection of character. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's a wonderful example. Um, I remember, and it makes me think of uh, when I was a young child. My, my, I have an older brother, and my dad would often ask us uh, if we knew what leadership was, mm -hmm. which I always thought was an odd question to ask a, a young child. Um, but I, I think he wanted to instill that attitude in us at an early age um, about uh, how to be influential um, and, and not in a in a forceful way. But he would always mm -hmm. say that it's it's influencing others to accomplish a common mission or goal. Yeah. And the key component of what what you're talking about, I think, is is that influence. And mm -hmm. it's not through force or, co or coercion. Leadership isn't. It's it's through volunteer, you know, in, encouraging people or making people want to follow you because of the example that you've set. And that's often through, or most likely going to be through exemplifying good character. Yeah, exactly. If you want somebody to go to the nth degree on behalf of a shared goal, uh, I think you, you want them to be as enthusiastic for it and, and as enthusiastic about the person who issued the order. Uh, more so than, uh, uh, you know, than having, because he had a gun in his head and was told to do it. Uh, well, how much have you won if somebody does something because you ordered them to, as opposed to they wanted to do it? Right. Yeah. It's a far more powerful form of leadership if they yeah. follow you voluntarily. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a section in in your book here where you talk about, uh, today's heroes, uh, teachers, uh, businessmen, parents. Um, and, and I, I think that the heroes that these examples you give are, are heroes in a, the not so grand sense, like the, the blinking lights heroes, but in the, the smaller day-to-day -day tasks. Um, do you want to, can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, and I should point out that uh, I think in all those professions that you just cited, teaching and uh, a couple others that you mentioned. Business and, and parents, yes. Business yeah. and parents, yeah. There are plenty of bad examples. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily hold up an entire profession and say that uh, just by definition it is virtuous or a good thing. I know, I know some bad teachers. Uh, America's universities, I'm afraid to say, are full of them today. Um, but the good ones in that profession and any profession are the ones who lead by example, who stress the importance of character, who, because you were their student, you're a better person, not just more knowledgeable of facts and figures, but a better person because of that teacher or that influencer. Those are the ones uh, that I would say uh, we should regard as uh, heroic, who leave that kind of impression. Uh, uh, but there are plenty in, in every profession who don't, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, I, I may have gotten off track there, Alex. I hope I answered. Oh, no, 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 no problem. I, I, I think, um, you know, that, that I just wanted to draw out the fact that uh, the people that we think of as heroes are often the uh, oh, right. not not the people that are on TV necessarily. They're the, they're the the ones doing uh, displaying character day to day in That's their right. everyday life. Yeah. Especially the ones who do it when they don't have to, mm -hmm. when uh, to act in a different way might have given them some short term material advantage, but they did the right thing anyway. Those are the ones that uh, I elevate to heroic status who who live lives of heroism, not just moments of heroism but lives of uh of heroism every day yeah it's it's easy to uh i think to to go in spurts and yeah. to to summon up the energy to to do the right thing now and then but to do it day in and day out is a totally different endeavor yeah 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 we are really uh we're we're like uh gems just out of the mine uh that need to be polished and sometimes polishing is rough on us. Um, but in the end, we're better people if we allow ourselves to be polished by circumstances that, uh, and uh, allow our character to be so elevated uh, by the circumstances we face. We're not better people if we face our circumstances in a way that uh, is destructive of our character, uh, doing things to get by for the moment. Um, I think you're you're rougher than before the polishing began. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it, that reminds me of a, and I'm going to botch the the quote, but and you may know it. I, I'm not sure, uh, but it basically that that people, an individual, is both the the sculptor and the stone. And the idea is that uh, there isn't character without some pain, you have to, to shape yourself, to mold yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's true. You have to do difficult things, uh, if you're going to live a life day in and day out, uh, that's, that's displays character and, and is virtuous. Um, but some might say, and you've, and you've mentioned, alluded to this, what's the point of it? What, why should we take the, the hard path, the, the path, uh, that, maybe will require uh, this this pain uh, or, or tough decision making. Uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, that it's a good way to be remembered if you live this life. Mm -hmm. uh, it also helps you live with a clear conscience. 
Um, I think those are both great things, but, but why else should people care about living a virtuous life and, and one of character? Well, if, if one is a believer in, um, uh, uh, the Christian faith, and since I am, I'll start by elaborating on that. Uh, I want to be a person of good character because I believe that's what my creator commanded that I do. I think he knew what he was talking about. Um, but even if I were not a believer in uh, God and his commandments, uh, I think I would, just by my understanding of human nature and of of uh, science that I would come to the, a lot of the same conclusions that um, because we are unique individuals, it's very important that each of us treat everyone else in this, the same fashion that we would want to be treated. They have the same rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that I have. And uh, it simply is disrespectful to our fellow citizens to be dishonest with them or to be arrogant over them or to be unhumble and, and uh, irresponsible toward them, or to be uh, timid in the face of their assaults if they're bad people. Um, so I, I'm thinking that all these character traits that we've talked about that are so important to solid, strong, good character and freedom um, really amount to uh, the golden rule in practice. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. And mm -hmm. otherwise, um, you know, you're you're kind of behaving like you're some special creature, but you're you're just as human as everybody else. What yeah. makes you uh, so special that you get to dictate to them if they can't dictate to you? Yeah, I, I think that's a a, a wonderful example um, and a, a good way to say it uh, that it's it's the golden rule in practice. I think the other component of it too, and, and uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is that I think so often people think that acting in a way that isn't virtuous is the easier path, but it may be in the moment, yeah. but it's not long-term. And yeah. I, I think that it's like denying yourself uh, ice cream, right? Because you're trying to, mm -hmm. to stay fit, right? You, yeah. it, it, you don't engage in the lie or, or the deceit because it may be difficult in the moment, but it's gonna, uh, you're going to reap the reward of the seeds that you sow. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And uh, it's going to come back to bite you sooner or later. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you happen to be a Christian, then you know that that, that uh, sooner or later might be in the afterlife. Um, uh, but it could be on earth as well, that uh, mm -hmm. sooner or later, bad people are kind of found out in most cases. And uh, an awful lot of them regret, but then can't undo what they did when they had the opportunity to uh, act the, uh, the right way. So uh, you got to live with your conscience, uh, all of us. And if you've got one, uh, I think we should understand the importance of living up to high standards of character. Otherwise, our conscience will bother us till the day we till the day we die. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I've had you for just a little over an hour now. I'm gonna try to wrap up because I know uh, you, you've probably got other things to do as well. Uh, but Enjoy. one point you make that I don't often hear people make uh, is that. You say one of the strongest arguments for liberty, in my mind, is the fact that it is one and only uh, the uh, sorry, it is the one and only social, political, economic arrangement that demands high character. Yes, uh, and you you just juxtapose that with centrally planned uh, governments. Can you say a little bit about that? 
Yeah, uh, just imagine if you would a society where people uh, either suddenly or over time decide, hey, truth isn't important. We don't have to be honest. Let's just do whatever makes us feel good for the moment or gives us some benefit or advantage. Truth is no big deal. Uh, okay, well, imagine the same society also is a, a, no longer believes in humility, thinks that they know it all, uh, think that, uh, hey, I know better than the other guy how to live his life. Uh, you can't have freedom in those kinds of circumstances. A society of people who are not responsible, how, how are you going to be free? Um, I mean, a, an irresponsible society means a society of people running around saying, hey, it's your fault, even though it's not. Uh, they never step up to the plate and hold themselves accountable for the mistakes they made. They always look for somebody else to blame. How can freedom exist in a society where everybody's trying to uh, pin false blame on other people or being dishonest toward them? I mean, a dishonest, unhumble, impatient, timid, irresponsible people will not be a free people. You will end up with some kind of socialism, communism, some strongmanism. Uh, that will run uh, everybody's life because otherwise you have chaos. Yeah. Uh, the lack of character produces the chaos that is the fertile ground in which dictatorship and tyranny thrive. I, I think that uh, I like this this point too because any variety of government uh, it requires some degree of force, and I think by its very nature, violates the golden rule. I mean, like you said earlier, where we are trying to live out the golden rule through living a life, a virtuous life, and one of character uh, and liberty. But uh, I think we don't want to be, ourselves don't want to be forced to do uh, things that we don't want to do by yeah. other people. So why would we force others uh, through the mechanism of government to to do those things? And so, so I think... That's a, a a good point that you make here. Yeah, it's an age old struggle. I mean, America's founders knew that they wouldn't have argued against what you just said. They, they recognized that any government requires, uh, by definition, uh, some use of force. But they they set about the task of creating an infrastructure whereby the use of force would be minimized, whereby it would be uh, uh, exercised in a just way when it would be used to um, correct injustices rather than create new injustices. Um, and they knew that was a tough challenge, uh, that nobody had ever done it before uh, and kept it forever. Uh, even the ancient Romans, on whom we copied much of uh, what they did when they formed their republic, even they lost it uh, over time. Our founders were interested in, you know, once we get the right things in place that minimizes the use of force by government. How do we keep it from devouring us over time? And uh, we're still working on that, I guess. That's, that yeah. answer hasn't yet been rendered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a never ending uh, problem to, to try to solve. It's, yeah. So it seems. Uh, well, Larry, I think, I think we'll, we'll leave it here for now and uh, try to have you back on the show some point in the future, maybe to discuss the, the back half or the the um, portion of your book uh, called Liberty as a Life Philosophy. Uh, if you're willing to do that at some point in the future, we'll, we'll have you back on to do that. But before we close up, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say in closing or any resources you'd like to, to point out to, to our listeners? 
Uh, maybe a couple things. Uh, one point I want to say is, regardless of how dark things may look at the moment, uh, uh, maintain a sense of optimism because it's opposite. Pessimism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, good people can make a difference in the world as long as they don't give up. And the uh, second thing I would recommend is if people are browsing the Internet and want to check out my website, I'd be grateful. It's uh, lawrencewreed.com, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E-W-R-E-E-D, no punctuation in there, .com. And there I put uh, all the articles uh, that I write. And if you send me a link to this uh, podcast, uh, Alex, I will post it there as well. Yeah, I'll, I will certainly uh, send you the link to this to this podcast, and I will include your website in the show notes as well, so that uh, our listeners mm -hmm. have easy access to that. Uh, well, Larry, I really appreciate you joining the show to discuss your book, "Are We Good Enough for Liberty?" And I'll link to that in the show notes as well, so that folks can access the book. Uh, and uh, to close up here, I'll just finish, I think, with a, a quote that I got from page thirteen of the book that I, I think is is really great. Uh, it says, if you want to be free, if you want to live in a free society, you must assi assign top priority to raising the caliber of your character and learning from those who already have it in spades. If you do not govern yourself, you will be governed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks again, Larry, uh, for joining the show. I really appreciate your time and I uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. If you, if you did, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to help spread the message of freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.